0: Assalamu alaikum everyone. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the Mindful Muslim podcast where I'll be speaking to Samir. He talks about his work as a psychotherapist and his organisation Neurotherapy and we have a really interesting conversation about other important aspects of his work, Islam and mental health as well. I hope you enjoy this. Assalamu alaykum, Samir. Thank you so much for joining me on the Mindful Muslim podcast today. How are you?
1: Wa alaykum as salam, rahmatullah. Alhamdulillah, I'm good. Thank you. How are you?
0: Great. Thank you for asking. Um, so, I guess I'd just like to start with you introducing yourself to our viewers and our listeners. Go ahead.
1: So, my name is um, Samir Noor muhammad I'm the founder of New Therapy. I'm also a school teacher by profession. Um, and Occasionally, we do lead some classes and the workshop within the community as well. And yeah, I'm just pleased to be here today and be on this podcast with you.
0: Awesome. Um, I know that you're also um, training or are, correct me if I'm wrong, a transactional analysis psychotherapist. Can you tell us what that actually is? Because many of us may not have heard of that.
1: So the, the modality in which I'm currently um, getting training is transactional analysis, which um, is a model that was developed by Dr. Eric Byrne, uh, which focuses on basically what the word actually say, which is analysing our transactions that we have as human beings. So why you may say something or behave or feel in a certain way um, and why we may respond in certain ways as well. So it's analysing that and it's quite a dynamic model uh, in the sense that it has four strands um, counseling, psychotherapy, organizational, educational. So organizational refers to, um, how it can be used in like in a corporate setting to help people manage their their staff that they have and educational is how you can use this model to educate teachers, to enhance their relationship with, with students, uh, understand the behaviors of their students, um, so it's quite a dynamic model has a number of strands to it. But the training that I'm currently undertaking, um, which I'm coming towards the end of, is from an integrative approach, which basically entails different modalities and how they can be at the same time as well. So I'm quite sort of I'm lucky to be on, on that in this type of route where I'm able to sort of um, gain a wide scope of um, what the, the therapy world, uh, therapy world, and the different modalities that we have.
0: Mm, amazing. And in your training thus far, as you said, you're coming towards the end. Um, what kind of has interested you or piqued your interest the most is there a particular um strand you know whether it's organizational like you said or the education aspect that excites you the most
1: so initially when i embarked upon this journey of um, qualifying to become a counselor or um, psychotherapist um my first training was in the person-centered approach the person-centered which was developed by carl rogers it, it was a great it was a great modality But I felt that it was quite, personally felt it was quite limited in the sense that I thought it was great for those key qualities that you need as a counsellor of empathy, congruence, unconditional positive regard and just how to be with the client present within um, the setting. However, I I was looking for something a little bit more and I think um, that led me on to do some further research and different modalities out there and eventually came to um, the the TA model. Um, But but yes, and, and looking back, it, I don't have any regrets on that. It's, it's opened up many doors to me. And it, as I said, it's quite dynamic. And I think the fact that I had educational strength and myself being in the field educational, I felt that like it was quite, um, it could be quite versatile and used in a variety of ways.
0: Mm, amazing. So you think when you um, do finish your qualification here, um, will, it, will you sort of um, center your work towards education? Or, or are you open to, you know, um, delivering therapy in other ways as well?
1: So the, the course itself and the training itself qualifies you to work with adults and, and that is what I primarily do in a, from a therapeutic sense. Um, but as part of my training, there's also an additional add-on which will enable me to also work therapeutically with children and adolescents, which I felt just made sense seeing as the experience I've had working with young people just to open up that sort of age bracket. Um, but at this moment in time, primarily I work therapeutically with, with adults.
0: Brilliant okay um now I know another um thing that you do or that you've set up in fact is neurotherapy on Instagram can you tell us more about that I guess what motivated you to start it and what you do on that platform what do you share?
1: So um I think coming on social media itself was um, a bit of a well it's not something which I'm in the past have ever really done putting myself out of there as, as you know it's it takes a lot of consideration to do that and it can come with risks and positives and also negatives as well. Um, but I think in, in the world that we live in right now, uh, with the intention of benefiting other people, it is sometimes essential and, and it's needed. And, and that's what I think, how I, how I convince myself that, okay, I, I need to do this. Um, and in terms of the name, the name itself, new therapy, so my, my full name itself is um, Samir Noor Muhammad. Now, the word nude itself, it, it means light. And when I reflected upon what therapy actually means to me personally, the, the goal of therapy, the purpose of therapy, I felt that there was this sense of illumination there where light is needed in a, in a metaphorical sense to clients in certain stages in their life in which they come to you. So for me to class that a nude therapy, it was a case of a therapy which is supposed to illuminate you and, and, and benefit you and on, the, on the logo itself around the word nude was a heart with race coming because the essence of our core of our being is our heart so the one of the purpose of therapy is to therefore illuminate your heart and there and, and for you to then spread that light to others as well so that was with the intention with i wanted to set up the um instagram page and alhamdulillah it's been um i feel sort of a point for me to network with other people communicate with the people and, and try to offer the services i can within my capacity. Um, where possible Um, and again it is one of those where i think what intention you go with inshallah you will you will derive from that as well but it has to be used with with caution but i try to not put too much pressure on myself in um posting regularly and i try to go about it in a very organic way Um, because i think sometimes what can happen is when you do have social media accounts people feel the need to constantly post um and constantly be be there. But I try to come about it in, in, in a natural way and, and post as and when appropriate.
0: Mm, Masallah, um, especially your explanation there of the logo and, and your reasoning behind starting neurotherapy is, is really beautiful, mashallah, so I hope that it really benefits lots of people. And I guess for somebody that hasn't heard of neurotherapy before, um, you know, what would you say to someone that was thinking about following your page? Why should they follow your page?
1: So in terms of what we actually offer in terms of services and and what we aim to strive towards, so number one is you know counselling services and that's that's the number one goal and the number one service that we offer to work therapeutically with clients one to one. Secondly, it's also premarital counselling. So for a couple who's looking to get married or or may even um, are not sure but they want to see compatibility and, and where they stand on their values and models, uh, we sometimes offer sessions uh, which are based upon um, Richard Erskine's principles. Of integrative um, ta which looks at certain values and how what your take on these values are and um, we will also bring in of course these sort of um Islamic models and values there and see the their responses there and just what they can learn about each other from that sort of um that sort of safe environment and confidential environment that we create for them and thirdly is providing cpd workshops for um educational institutes primarily but we are also open to other Institutes so for example in some schools I provided some CPD workshop for teachers and how they can use um, the, the ta model to um, understand students behavior and just and to SLT members in a school so they can understand how to manage their staff so um, I would say those are the three main sort of um, strands of, of new therapies counseling in terms of one-to-one premarital counseling and also CPD workshops um, for schools and also the wider community. And in terms of why it's followed, um, well, again, like I said, we, I hope that they can learn something from there. And I think one of the reasons also I set it up was to provide some sort of a form of psychoeducation because there may be people there who they might not need counselling or they might not want counselling or whatever their reasons may be, but hopefully if you can just sh- share some nuggets of wisdom with them, that itself can go a long way. Um, you know, we live in this um, culture of of memes, don't we, where someone just finds a meme and matches with their mood and it gives them some sort of solace (laughs) for a short term or temporarily. (laughs) But if something is done with maybe a bit more um, authentic and um, reliability, it can maybe have a bit more long-lasting approach. So um, hopefully they can learn something there and maybe I can learn something from them too because we're always open to learning from each other.
0: Mm, And absolutely, I think what you mentioned, especially there about the fact that we we may be in a society where a lot of the time n- negative things are often shared, um, and sometimes more viewed, and sometimes just um, yeah, more attention is given to given to give negative things that are happening. So, um, sharing positivity is really important. Um, I also know that you're a course instructor, um, so can you share that aspect of yourself with us as well, and and what that entails?
1: So I think when um. I embarked upon this journey of trying to be a counselor one thing that made perfect sense to me was the teaching element you know when you've been teaching for so many years in different sort of settings it's like any new content you learn as a teacher straight away you look at that and you think right okay right how can I use this to teach now how can I pass that on uh, and as sort of um, Muslims as well and, uh, and generally for anyone when it comes to knowledge the first sort of step is intentions what is your intention when seeking the knowledge after your intentions we learn that knowledge and it's about implementing that with ourselves or striving to implement it to the best of our ability and then there's always a the next step of then passing that on to others you know I've always been taught by by my teachers and mentors to learn in a manner where you will also be able to teach that content And there's a difference between someone learning, but they don't have that intention because the sort of investment and the sort of involvement you have may be slightly different because when you know you want to teach something, you're going to want to grasp that science to its full level. So in terms of the course instructor element, it just sort of made sense that, you know, uh, being a qualified teacher, I also want to learn how I can teach um, this content to others as well. And like I said, for some people, They may not um, feel they need counselling or they may not want counselling. They may just have an interest in mental health and need some form of psychoeducation. So to be able to deliver that content in a way which is um, accessible, I felt that um, that was something quite, it, it appealed to me and I wanted to take that opportunity. And that led me to, you know, try to develop some workshops and it's an ongoing process and just make that sort of material more accessible to the wider public as well um and, and like i said sometimes everyone's different now for some of us we we may need counseling or we may not need any psychoeducation but for some people it, counseling may not work for them but with someone explaining educating them that may work for them because we all learn in different ways and we all will benefit um from our sort of um, our sort of, some sources in different way as well
0: Amazing. Um, now, you touched on uh, your materials and different courses that, that you have. And I know some of the topics that you've um, touched on is in inha- enhancing self-awareness, love and healing, and um, battling with depression and anxiety. Are there particular reasons that you chose those, those topics?
1: Um, I think maybe a commonality between all of those topics was that aspect of um, becoming more aware of yourself, and your emotions and 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 something that's relevant to um the person at that moment in time so the first class i delivered was around the the ta model of ego state model uh which essentially is a model which allows you to become more attuned to how you are feeling at that moment in time when you're responding in certain ways um and Again, the the topic on Surah duha and Surah al-insyira. Once again, becoming in touch and sort of making meaning of what's taking place in your life. So I think all of these topics, the sort of um, the core theme was self-awareness of becoming more present um, and more aware. And it's another another point which I, just, um, I feel is quite important to make. Sometimes, um, as Muslims, we when someone is sharing a piece of theory, which let's just say. Um, TA theory by Dr. Ellen Byrne, it might be some CBT or Carl Rogers, the person-centered. We sometimes feel like, oh, but why can't you just talk about the nafs from an Islamic perspective? Why can't you just talk about what Abu Zayd al-Balki has said or Imam al-Ghazali? And we would get ourselves in a bit of a... Start to unnecessarily sometimes reflect upon and and create, and maybe sometimes an issue why someone may be sharing content from um, the Western models. And I think the point of my understanding and personal opinion is that so long as something does not contradict our Islamic values and does not contradict the Sharia, there is no harm in it. There's no harm in sharing that if it's going to be used to enhance your well being. Of course, like I said, though we have our barriers and our parameters, but if they're not being crossed, there's there's nothing wrong. Knowledge it, it itself is of, of benefit unless there is something there with some philosophical underpinning, which um, is is not good. Um, so I mentioned that because sometimes in the past, I, I have heard that when when we share some uh, piece of is there, you know, why are we talking about that for? Why not that? Again, Absolutely. it's about what is yeah. important at that moment in time and what the client needs.
0: Yeah, I think... I think as Muslims we have such um such strong faith and belief in our own values and, you know, grounding principles of Islam. It can seem that other other knowledge, let's say, um, there's some sort of conflict and you might you know, you might feel uneasy about, okay, let me look at it from this different perspective, let's say a Western perspective, you know, um, but as you say, knowledge is, is all around us and if it doesn't, you know, go past certain boundaries that we have in Islam, then those you know that should be embraced. Actually, new knowledge should be embraced as long as it's within our own mm-hmm. our own principles. And
1: um, oftentimes, you know, there's on. this different jargon which has been used in terminology. Some of the topics that are being explained um, from both from both angles is actually the same sort of understanding. To try to convey, but the terminology may be slightly different. But like we said, we have our boundaries there, and they should be adhered to no matter what. But we shouldn't um, straight away feel uncomfortable if someone says, you know whether it may be Carl Rogers or, um, you know, Skinner or whoever it's a psychologist that may be.
0: Absolutely. Um, Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. Um, I guess uh, sticking with your therapy and and your work as a course instructor, what would you say is the most rewarding aspect for you or any kind of, um, you know, memories that you could share with us?
1: I think the the facilitation of learning um, is something which is incredibly rewardable. Because of that um, the feeling and the contentment that you have when you realize that you've been able to make a difference to another person's life and how that knowledge impacts them. Um, you know, you'll always be in a, in a classroom, whether it's at school or whether it's a, you know it's a course that you're leading um, elsewhere, where you will really see some faces within within the audience who are having light bulb moments. And I think those light bulb moments, again, it makes it makes it worth it. Our, our reward is still there with Allah, and even if we don't see that, we, we still are doing our part. But the, when you see immediately that it's having a positive impact, it, it can have um, it can be quite motivating. Um, and I think apart from that, in terms of there's been many times when people have shared that how. They, they were struggling to understand something but now through the workshop they feel like they're able to make sense of that or they come back a couple of weeks later and share a reflection that they've had based upon the content that you shared and i know and that that does go a long way it does make you feel like you know there is benefit in doing in, in doing this I and mean, we to continue with something like this on a on a much more continuous scale
0: Amazing. Um, I guess my next question is uh, more about your educational work. So you did touch on the facts that you teach. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more in terms of um, your roles within within schools?
1: So uh, initially, the first educational place that I actually worked at was an um, evening faith supplementary school, uh, a madrasa, where I was working for, for two years. And eventually I continued there for a number of years and was, was the head teacher of that evening faith supplementary school, leading that madrasa. And then I went on to do my teacher training and a qualified initiative as a primary school teacher. Um, and I was taught as a primary school teacher for a number of years. Um, and then I worked as a supply teacher for a, for, for a while, where I was able to get that diverse range of experience of working in, in different settings, um, different types of schools and different demographics. And, and that um, most recently, at this moment in time, working like in, in a high school, in a pastoral and welfare um, a role so I've been quite lucky in the sense that where well, over the past uh, nearly 10 years I've had that wide range of experience of working in, in different educational settings and um, just gaining that experience and, and, and realizing how how amazing young people are and how amazing children are and and, and their sort of innate core nature it is something that's quite it's quite pure and and, and as we say um and um it's it's how their surroundings around them we can help them flourish within that setting of education because you know it, it's so important because the amount of time children spend at schools throughout the year you know there's a big role that we as um educators have in that role that, in, in their life because of the time that we spend with them
0: sure sure um i guess uh we need to then move on to S E M H students and i would love you to just break that Acronym down for us and explain that a little bit. And whether you've actually you think that there's enough support for um Muslim SEMH SEMH students as well.
1: So SEMH, so we're referring to social, emotional, and mental health needs of children. Um so we I think there's great work being done within the community. We have schools um that specifically catered to to deal with the social, emotional, mental health needs of children and um, In terms of answering your question specifically about Muslim children, um, I feel that the main sort of challenge over here may actually, there's two strands over here. Number one, in the madrasas that we have. Now, we've all been brought up where we were in a madrasa learning how to read the Quran. But the question is that a child in the class who has any SEMH needs or uh, any SEND needs, how are we catering for their learning? What pedagogy has been used to cater for their learning? And as some madrasas, they are um, introducing resources to cater for that. They may have a specialist teacher as well. But from my experience, I would say so far there's still a, a dire need to cater for that. So I think there needs to be more training for the madrasa teachers to deal with, um, to teach children who do identify with additional needs, um, maybe certain resources need to be created to to cater for that as well. So definitely is, there is work in terms of the, the madrasa environment for that because again, learning the Quran is a, is a sort of a essential part of our faith and you know we look back at it and hopefully it, it was an enjoyable part of our sort of um, our life as well learning how to read the quran and we need to continue to strive to make it not a stressful part for for children who may not be able to interact because of additional needs whatever that may be so um i think the second point then in terms of like the school which um the mainstream school is understanding of um, parents as well. I think it's extremely important for my Muslim community. And again, I would say it's always important to highlight the positive as well. I think sometimes it's very easy to say there's not enough support, not enough understanding. But, you know, from my experience, there is increasingly more understanding in our community, more resources and more groups being developed. And we should always acknowledge that to enhance their motivation. So I would say parents do now have a much more better understanding, but, there's still a need to develop more understanding and having empathy towards your children, um, to understand uh, how we can cater for their needs and and, and do the best for them and make the best decision for what, what is the best school for them? What is the best setting for them and how can we help them flourish in their sort of, um, sort of, um, their academic nature, whatever that may be. Mm,
0: Absolutely. I think it's so important what you touched on about the, the learning and understanding our children, um, you know, um, within families first, and then you know that kind of filtering into schools and how they're um, helping students and understanding their students and um, you know working with students to better understand them so that they can really support them with any kind of additional needs that they that they might have. And I, I think most children will have those additional needs, but it's a it's a case of actually identifying which which area or areas they might need support in um, and. Thank you for touching on specifically the the Muslim students and what madrasas can do. But in general also, as you were saying, all sorts of other schools, you know, no matter what their demographic or what, um, you know, group of students that they're actually catering for in the local community, those schools also, their staff need more training, most probably in terms of how to better interact with those students and understand them um, and actually you know, help them learn better and and feel more comfortable in school as well. Um, The next thing we're going to move on to is um, Islam and mental health. So I wanted to start with asking you about whether you've noticed any stigmas or misconceptions about Islam and mental health within the Muslim community. And we already touched on uh, kind of feeling almost challenged or uneasy at, you know, hearing about maybe... um, a western scholar that has a particular theory um so are there any other stigmas or misconceptions that you've that you've come across um that you can share with us
1: so i think that the taboo around mental health i do feel mental health is spoken a lot more now in the muslim community we have many people doing great work um you know whether it's scholars or therapists or, or groups or Education resources. There's a lot more, a lot more work being done than there were there was many years ago. Uh, I do feel there's a stigma still attached with someone who is seeking therapy, and you know a reluctancy to do that, and that reluctancy is something which I feel does need to be challenged still. Um, and and I think there may be various needs for that. They may feel that this is going to become a, an impediment in their relationship with Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala they may feel that they, they this is a sort of um, a sign they have a low faith and i think it's about challenging that and sort of educating them that this process can be something which can enhance your relationship with allah subhanahu wa ta'ala if it is done with the correct intention and you know and making it something quite normalized as well you know sometimes we make it into something which it which it isn't a really grand thing oh, you're going to seek therapy or you can do it but we don't really dramatize or um sort of a big up in, in, in a sense something like that when you're going to be going to the gp for when you're not feeling well or you're going to go to a nutritionist for a health concern or a personal trainer for if you want to get into physical shape and similarly for mental health if you're going to go to a counselor we need to put it in that same sort of category that you know it's it's make it normalize make it something which isn't um so how do I say this now? Not, not remarkable, but I think making it something which is unachievable sometimes at times as well. Um, and, uh, and reminding them that you're not going to be contradicting any tenets of your faith. Yeah by seeking counseling yeah i think rather you'll be doing something which is going to enhance your yeah. your your iman as well
0: yeah i think flipping that round is so important and it's almost what we touched on before as well it's like the fear of the unknown you know if there's something that you've never done before or experienced before or heard about before you're going to be um, afraid or worried of ha- or have have lots of doubts in your head about what what you know what therapy could lead to for example um but actually once you have there and you've started it and um you've seen how it's positive for you your family members may feel the same and see a positive change in you or you know whatever it might be so actually um it's about being open-minded I think a lot of the time about 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 therapy um and I think it's, I mean, it's the, with the intention well,
1: with you, you go into therapy as well um and, and and that itself has a big impact on how you are going to benefit from it and also, in terms of whether this works for you or doesn't work for you, again, that doesn't mean that the the, the counselling itself is something which is not working. It may be, it may be it may be something else as well. So, again, the, the many sort of aspects to this. But I think on a whole is to understand that it's something which is part and parcel of faith. The Prophet was described in the Quran as being a Rauf and a Rahim, as kind. And as, as compassionate and merciful and these are qualities that we as, as counselors try to um sort of portray and model to um to the client because at that moment in time in their life and in in their in their grief or whatever they're going through and they need that someone to be ra'uf and and, and rahim to them and the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam many examples um in his seerah was in, uh, embodied the qualities that a counsellor embodies. And, and that that is something which really struck me, that when I started my counselling training, how some of these qualities, they were just <laughs> prophetic qualities. And in my mind, I was like, are we actually being trained how to be empathic? Like, isn't that something which we as humans should be anyway? But we've moved as human beings so far away from our fitra, our natural disposition, our sort of uh, natural qualities that we now have to retrain ourselves to be in, in that state. But these are prophetic qualities and are many examples when the Prophet wasallam showed empathy to the companions and, and just to um, the community at large and, and when they came to him. I mean, even the hadith that we have that the ummah is like one body I and mean, one part feels a pain, the other part should should feel that pain as well. That shows that we should have empathy that empathy when we see another Muslim who is in who is in who is in pain and who, who is suffering, and, and likewise for a fellow a fellow non-Muslim as well. And even the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, the advice that he gave to an Imam that when you hear children crying in the back, what should you do? You should shorten your prayer. You know, the, even in prayer, that empathy that we have for people for, for for children. And there are many many more examples that that we can give. Um, one another one that comes to mind is when the Bedouin was in the masjid and he started to urinate, and the Prophet what did he do? He didn't scold him, didn't abuse him. He went after that, and then he explained to him that you know this is this is the in accordance with the etiquette of the masajid and we should do this. So he always had that empathy before being solution focused, whereas we as Muslims sometimes tend to be solution focused first. And sometimes only solution focused. But uh, the, the prophetic way is to have empathy and then we go forward to a solution. solution. And, and that's important as well. And from an Islamic perspective, I feel that one aspect of Western psychotherapy and counseling is that sometimes it becomes, uh, and this a, it's a generic comment, uh, sometimes it becomes too much about validating the other person's emotions and empowering them that yes you have a right to feel angry yes you can do this and you know you you, know that shouldn't have happened and all of this and that's great and sometimes it is needed um but what next (laughs) what after that then once you've done that to the client and you empower them you validate the emotions what next there sometimes does need to be aspect of um of some solutions as well um, not from yourself, but you're giving the client the skills and tools to be able to do that. But you're creating that environment to help the client flourish in that respect.
0: Marshall, mm, that's such an amazing reminder in terms of just, you know, treading with empathy first and then looking or, or helping, helping find solutions. I'm just thinking of a normal day-to-day level, whether, you know, you're talking with a family member or a friend or a colleague um, it's such an important reminder, you know, not even just in sort of a council or a kind of um, setting, and how how important that is. Because um, we straight
1: away will be like, when someone mm. will come, okay, do this, try that. Yeah. But yeah. before that, it's just about being yeah. present with the client and the Absolutely. person, and just acknowledging. Okay, I, I can see why that may be troubling you. Or you know, often, I can really see that's mm, affected you. We're
0: just often, you know, I i think about myself and you might just want to reel off advice or sort of um you know it's it, with the best intentions you want to you want to try and help but you might reel off things that this person should be grateful for or um look at what you yeah. have and such but actually yeah i think for that person if they're having you know mental health um struggles then that's not really what they want to hear they just it's more important that that you're listening that you're there with them and that you can
1: and they feel heard yeah
0: yeah and that you can and, and sometimes
1: me. they don't want advice and they actually don't want solutions they actually even though when they come to you it may sound like they want you to help them and how to go forward but in reality they just want to let off some steam at that moment in time and sometimes you just need to stay quiet manage that silence give them some empathy and you realize they'll be like okay that's fine and they'll move on something else
0: yeah mashallah um i also know uh, we mentioned earlier too that you've studied islamic psychology and we've touched on what you've said there about some of the learnings from that, I assume. But it would be great to hear a little bit more about um, your studies in Islamic psychology and how you've incorporated that into the work that you do now.
1: So studies with that, um, they're on- ongoing. And um, I think once you step into any field of knowledge, you, the first thing you realise is how little you know. And I think that is something which can be the litmus test um, in perhaps one's sincerity um, and how knowledge is affecting them is that, like they say, a little bit of knowledge can be dangerous. Um, so in any any field um, you enter, and you realize there's a big ocean over here. So we, we take from what we can, and we, we we carry on learning. But in terms of how it's it impacted my practice, I think the first thing to say is, and I, and I believe this quite strongly, that from an Islamic perspective, faith-centered therapy is extremely crucial you know, to have references and um, to see what you are experiencing from in your life from a, a faith perspective is crucial because, you know, if I was experiencing some sense of grief in my life right now, for me to make meaning of that, because one of the purposes of counselling is to make sense or meaning of what's taking place in your life or, or has done or may be coming, and um, to use your faith in that respect, it helps you give that meaning to it. So it is extremely important that we do that. And um, we need to understand how faith-centered therapy is important. And also um, from an, an Islamic perspective, it, it gives you more sort of um, a framework for understanding that and realizing that. So, But at the same time, how will I incorporate that within my practice? It will be in a very organic and natural way. It's not a case of we're coming, we're telling them about halal, haram, that's not our role, right? Where needed, it, it may be to save them, save some, someone from um, saying, um, you know, that's where the balance comes in between directive and non-directive. Um, but our role there, it was, it's in a very natural way. Where appropriate, we will make references um, to the seed of the Prophet wasallam to the Qur'an. Where appropriate, we will see what the client is experiencing from an Islamic psychology model. So we will look at, in um, whether this is coming from the nafs al-amara bisu, the nafs al-lawama, the nafs al-mutma'inna. We will look at what is coming down into the aql and how is it affecting the qalb. You know, all these faculties that we have in Islamic psychology, the aql, the nafs, the hawa, the nafs the, 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 the that we have, and how is what they are experiencing affecting and what role these have to play in that so this paradigm of looking at things it just gives us another perspective on how we can use that with the, with a the muslim client um, and i always say to clients that you know they, when it comes to me making references to our our faith it's not it's not preaching i'm not telling you what to do it's just looking at things from a different perspective which hopefully will help you in your journey in in making sense of what's what's taking place in your life but at the same time what is extremely important is that we meet the client at the level that they are at So we know the client is someone perhaps who doesn't have a strong connection with their faith. You know, we can't make that overwhelming. We have to meet them where they are and and come with them on that journey uh, of of faith that they are. at. Um, So it's about matching and uh, tuning in with the client as well Mm. appropriately.
0: Mm, mm. Um, We already touched on and, and you mentioned actually when it comes to studying something new or um, you know whatever it might be it's that kind of initial realization that you realize you don't know anything at all and there's a sea of knowledge that that you can delve into you know um, I'd like to hear a little bit more about your studies that's ongoing as you say with Islamic psychology what has been for you the most profound you know work that you've come across
1: I think when um, you're studying some of these the western models and paradigms um, it in some respect the contributions that Islamic psychotherapists or um, psychiatrists or practitioners within this field made, sometimes it goes, um, it goes missed and it's not acknowledged in mm-hmm. some, of these, some of these books. So an example of that is with the CBT model. Um, Abu Zayd al-Balki was someone who hundreds of years ago was known as someone who was one of the founders of CBT, but in, in some arenas that's not really mentioned. Mm-hmm. So that was quite fascinating for me to learn about that and, and how... His paradigm that, we ha- that he has is quite similar to the CBT one, how he mentioned certain things which um, are being mentioned now within that field, mm-hmm. but he mentioned them um, many, many, um, many, many years ago. Mm-hmm. And also, I think something which I really enjoyed, and I think with young people as well who like to listen to music um, or, or sounds, was the power, the power of music therapy. So if you look into the, in the Ottoman time, they would have their sort of um, the psychiatry units and within them, they would have music therapy. And, and this was hearing natural sounds or um, maybe the sounds of nature, whatever it may be and the impact that had. And they would use that as a form of therapy with their, with their clients in, in the psychiatry unit. So learning about that, I felt was, um, it really resonated because, you know, with young people, we could show them the positive impact sounds can have on them. So there's amazing research out there and there's great people doing a lot of work in really bringing that, that knowledge back up and sort of re-educating us on, on something which was already already there for us. Mm. Um, and it's the power of um, prayer and, and meditation. You know, prayer is something that we can't, we, it, should, it should not be neglected. You know, no, we're not saying that it's a, it's a solution and you should, you know, like how some people may say, is go to your musallah and, and, and that's it. No, no. We're not. We're not advocating that, but we are saying it does have a role, mm. and it does have an impact. So prayer and meditation um, it has it has a role within your journey in making sense of what's going on in your life and and healing or whatever it may be. So and it should never it should never it should never be, should never be n- neglected. We should always encourage one to engage in this at that level and what's appropriate for them at, at that stage as well. Mm. And I think um, it's, it's just really. Um, Remarkable how the secular world is almost in a sense returning to faith but with the absence of God and the prophets. So what do I mean by that? So if you look at concepts now that we have such as mindfulness, um, it's similar in some respects to muraqabah, which is being vigilant and and, and watching your state of heart and taking yourself to account, which is like muhasabah. You know, Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu what did he say? Take yourself to account before you are taken to account of. And it, this is something which is, you know, we see mindfulness everywhere. In schools, you know, in um, PSHE, we, we will have a mindfulness time in, in corporate organizations. But it, it was there. But the absence, the difference is what? There's no God there. And there's no, the prophets are not there. Right? And, and same with, with fasting. It's intermittent fasting. The benefits of it of Ramadan. Um, what else is there there's there's many practices aren't there Uh, where if you look at them they're very similar but the the, the faith element has gone and one questions are why what's happened for me when when we look at history we see that you know people adhere to a certain faith maybe a couple of hundred years ago and gradually over years the decline in faith and the rise in secularism Mm -hmm. but now there's in essence a return which is coming back where people are feeling a loss of something a yearning for something, whether that is spirituality, whether that is um, intimacy, um, a longing for something, and but when they're coming back now, the same practices are there, but with the absence of the faith element. So I think it's remarkable the impact this can have, and um, um, but yeah, it just it really, it really blows my mind. It is. It's such what an your, interesting what your point you, thoughts you make. On
0: that. Absolutely, it's such an interesting point you make in terms of people returning to so many practices and principles that we ourselves as muslims can see this is part of my faith this is part of islam and yet the the clearly the god aspect is is missing final that's amazing mm. um but it's
1: a starting point isn't it mm. for um, for our fellow um people who, who may not adhere to a faith and, and we shouldn't discourage them it's a starting point and uh, we can only hope and pray that that progresses onto something further as well.
0: Absolutely, I mean it's not um, for us to to judge or even hope. You know, whatever, no, not at all. whatever um, works for for people of other faiths or no faiths at all. That is that is their journey and, and their path. Um, what I'd like to move on to is I know that there's. Um, Research has shown that in terms of clinical psychologists and educational uh, psychologists as well, 80% of them are female. Um, What are your thoughts on that? And the fact that, you know, um, far less uh, are are male.
1: So I think, firstly, to understand the the importance as to why that is actually significant, um, you know, by having a counsellor who may be of the same gender, it allows more relatability, uh, more sort of maybe common um, a common ground to discuss things on and common topics whether with the with males might be about fatherhood or whatever it may, it may be so so it definitely is important to have that accessibility in our community um, um, there for you in terms of the reasons for that I'm just thinking from a school teacher there's always been this stereotypical sort of um notion that with, with girls they will always pick their English topics and they're really good at English and expressing a literature and language and boys are always good at maths and you know there's always been that stereotypical sort of notion there but I think in in essence it may be to perhaps to do with the um the psychology of how we work as males and females that we we, we feel that as males that maybe they can't express their emotions they want to they wanna delve into that maybe some barriers there whether it's something that's due to society or due to family norms or whatever they may be so so I think apart from psychology in terms of just speaking about emotions it is something which is um, perhaps not done enough and I think it's about giving them the motivation, the permission to feel it, it's also okay to do that. Um, it may be other reasons for example, um, you know the, the, the route that you mentioned about the psychologist it's a very very long route to do an undergraduate degree in psychology and then a master's and then a doctorate. So some of these routes can be quite lengthy and it may be the pressures of, of, of um, being the breadwinner for for some men that they want to look for a different route. It could be many reasons, um, but I feel that time, times are changing. Um, there are a lot more males in the profession as there were before, not enough. Even within teaching, primary teaching, stereotypically was classed as a bit of a, a female profession and a secondary teaching, a male profession. Right, so when I went into my my teacher training, I think out of maybe three hundred trainees. There might have been um, seventy-five that were male, and the rest were female. And I was reading a book once by um, Sheikh Abdul Aziz Fredericks on on parenting. Um, I'm trying to think of the name now. Rayadatul Sibyan, I think it might have been called. I hope I've said it correctly. Um, but nevertheless, it was a good book. And in that, he mentioned how he was in um, he was in Saudi. And someone asked him, oh, what do you do? What's your occupation? What's your profession? And he said, well, well I'm, a, I'm a primary school teacher. He said, oh, okay, so 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 you're a carer. And I he's Fredericks. He wrote something, which was, it really, it made me laugh. And I loved the way he, he expressed it. He said, I took that word and I thought, hmm. Now he said carer in a very derogatory sense. Oh, you looking after the little ones, you know, or, you know, that's minor. What's that, right? But he said, when he said the word carer, it reminded you, me of, you know, the ayah I mentioned before as well, how the Prophet ﷺ would describe as Ra'uf and Rahim as someone who is kind, compassionate, and in essence, a carer towards the general public. He said, so when he said that, I actually reflected, you know, I took that as a compliment, that he actually said that I'm in a caring role, in a caring profession for others, and who better to care for them than for children? So I feel there has been that sort of um, stigma and sort of a um, sort of stereotypical view that um, with with males that in certain professions, but I feel times are changing, and I think about it's about perspective and looking about looking at things in a way that actually this is something that is fine, it's okay. And looking at for a Muslim, looking at the life of the Prophet sallallahu wasallam, and seeing how he reflected these um, the role of a psychologist in his life as a, in the seerah, and the role of a therapist, you know, um, it, it's 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 part of um, part of our iman these qualities that we have. And these values that we convey so all i can say is to, as, as a sort of um, a motivation um and sort of um, words of encouragement is that this field for me and the training it impacted and benefited me in in ways in all aspects of my life in my personal relationships in my sort of uh, my character as a person and even if you feel it's not for you, I always say to people, just do a level two counseling course, at least, because you just learn some basic skills, which are life skills, how to be with another person. So um, I think it's an interesting area that you mentioned um, to maybe to someone for this, so a viewer to perhaps do the further research into. But um, I think those are just some of the thoughts which um, come to mind straight away when I think about that. No,
0: inshallah. Thank you for, for sharing all of your thoughts there so candidly. And yeah. Um yeah, I guess the biggest thing for me is is the first thing that you mentioned about the fact that there you know there are um, more female psychologists than male ones, and um, it's really important to be able to relate to whichever therapist that you're going to see. So, you know, in terms of, I guess that leads quite nicely onto. Do you think there's a stigma when it comes to mental health and and males being able to talk about that openly? Is there a stigma which means Again, there's less male psychologists, but also less men feeling like they can seek help from a counsellor or a therapist.
1: I still think there is um, that stigma there and reluctancy for a male to seek therapy, Um, perhaps with the um, perception or the view that they may be classed as weak, um, because looking at the pressure, sometimes men can have In terms of the family network and society, and what it means to be a man for them is a mayfield coming a step down. But it's about making them realize that, if anything, you're going steps above when you're doing something like that, and it's all it's only going to raise you further. And having with anything is having that intention first, you know, and appreciating when you mention about having more males in this field, the impact that this can have on you as a father, as a husband, as a brother as a friend, and, and and more importantly, and more, more so than anything, as, as a Muslim, the impact this can have on you, um, just engaging in training or engaging in therapy itself as a client as well, and, and just acknowledging that. And like I said, most importantly, the, the more you want to get out of it, it will depend upon a direct correlation on your intention, having that sincere and pure intention that I am doing this for this reason, for the sake of Allah and, and, and why, that will depend on what, what container you are going with. If you're going to go with a container which has holes of arrogance, of, of rehab, ostentation, of showing off or just for the sake of telling people you are in this profession, just for the sake of, you know, proving to point I'm seeking therapy, but it's still not working. It's whatever you what container you're going to go with. You have to cover those holes first and then you'll be able to keep what the counsellor may part and retain that. Um, If that makes sense, I'm a a visual learner. So I like to share these sort of metaphors that we have. Um, And I think finally, it's important in any profession to have that diversity there. So to have males there, people from different ethnic backgrounds, different faiths, it's important to have a profession which has diversity and inclusion. And we we can only do that when we apply for it and we put ourselves in, in that field um, it's, it's very easy to sometimes just say there's not enough Muslims there, not enough people from this ethnic background there, but where are the people who actually want to enter that? So we need to have that willingness to to, to explore that and see if it works for us.
0: Yeah, um, and mashallah, um, sticking with the, the male aspect that we've spoken about, we hear so often about vulnerability is is really important and it's a real sign of strength and to, to show vulnerability and be able to seek help and and say that you're struggling with something is, is, is a real, real sign of strength for, for anybody. Um, um, I think
1: it was Prochaska's model of addiction and, and how to overcome addiction and deal with addiction. And, and the first step is to acknowledge that you actually have this addiction. And I think with anything, the vulnerability is to firstly acknowledge that, okay, there's something going on there. I need to figure out what it, what is it. What's going on there for me? So, um, so definitely, the first step is acknowledgement, and thereafter we progress. We progress through that.
0: Um, my next question is about self-help resources and books. Um, we see a lot these days online. Uh, you know, books, resources that that people can. Can um, get access to. Do you think those are sort of replacements for therapy? Uh, what place do you think they have in in the mental health spectrum?
1: That's an interesting question. That um, I feel they definitely do have a place because, as I mentioned earlier, for some people, they may not require um, a need to sit down with a therapist and book a session and and, and carry on. It may just be a case of the having a day where they just need something to lift them up w- once again. So having a, self, um, a self-care book or some resources or a self-care plan as well. It, it can be really good uh, for someone at that moment in time. Um, so I, I do feel they have a place, but in terms of it being a replacement for therapy, it shouldn't be seen as a replacement for therapy, rather as um, a, f- a further aid um, in, in what their experiences is and something, um, something supplementary. That's what it should be seen as. Um, but definitely I don't think this should be negated that It has some benefit mm.
0: in your um experience do you think there's um, I mean there might be different avenues and aspects to this question but do you think there's a way of identifying within yourself or within oneself that okay I really need to seek therapy on this particular subject or some aspect of my life rather than as you say relying on self-care plan or routine that you have or or books that you're referring to or listening to um, do you think there are signs that one could look out for that should that can indicate to them actually there might be a bigger sort of underlying problem whether it's from childhood or whatever it might be that i need to address and i might need to see a therapist for that
1: so i think it's seen the impact those um that plan or those self-care sort of routine is having on you, if it's having a positive impact and you are feeling that you're able to uh, function in your day-to-day life and, you know, you know there's nothing, uh, it's, there's no impediment there, no obstacle there, then that's a positive sign that it is working for you, right? However, if at the same time you feel that it, it's quite temporary, you have a good day, but then <clears throat> you're back again to square one or you feel that it, it's just not having any positive impact on you or you're not able to, to, to do the actual self-care, you know, um, ritual or plan or whatever, whatever it may be that you've selected for yourself. And that's a sign that perhaps you need to seek help. You need someone else to come in with an intervention and really help you underpick what's going on for you before you go further. Um, but I do think this is important because as a therapist, I always like to say to my clients that, yes, we're going to be having some sessions, but what I hope to do is by the end of it, give you the skills and tools to be able to function with your day-to-day life as well so I always try to include some form of psychoeducation within the sessions for them to learn about resources for them to learn about how they can function in the day-to-day life after because the reality is they're not going to be having therapy for the rest of their life are they right so we're helping that moment in time but we also want to empower them to be able to have the skills and tools to be to continue after the therapeutic process as well
0: Brilliant. Thank you so much, Samir. Um, we're coming to the end of my questions. I wanted to end on just um, asking about advice that you can give to family members on how they could um, approach a loved one that might be thinking about seeking therapy and also any kind of advice that you have for um, aspiring psychologists or or um, counsellors as well.
1: So in terms of um, how to approach family members, I think it has to be done... Um... In a very subtle way, um, not in a assertive way, because we have to understand how that person is at that moment in time, when emotionally, and really become attuned to their needs. So, doing it in, a, in a very subtle way, maybe through suggestions, and, and and maybe through just telling them a little bit about what counselling is, because many people don't actually know what counselling actually is. And sometimes that's where an issue can come into play, but telling them what counseling is and seeing what works for them. Maybe counseling doesn't work for them and you can signpost them to other relevant services, but I think educating them in a subtle way, really meeting them at their needs and seeing whether who who is it that they listen to. So you will know as a as a brother, as a sister, as a father, that this person has a positive impact on my on my son or my daughter's life my partner's life and maybe asking someone else to come in. So trying a variety of ways in order to help them seek help. Um, but I think the main thing is to have that lot of, to have that subtleness, that gentleness in that approach. The prophetic way of high empathy at all times and when doing that. Um, and then when it comes to seeking a counsellor, it's making sure that's done in an appropriate manner. So going to someone who's accredited and qualified, because if you go to the wrong person, it could have a negative impact. And this is also an issue that we sometimes have within our community. So you may go to um, some directories you have out there, like the MCAPN, which has the Muslim Psychotherapist and Counselors Network online. You can see that directory, the IAIP, can see that as well and then you've also got the BACP and the UKCP as well and I'm sure there's others as well but these are the main ones which come to mind at this moment in time because as I mentioned not to go into this topic and otherwise be for much longer but it's extremely important to seek help from someone who is qualified accredited and um, is is a true sort of a member of that service itself otherwise we don't want ha- let, to let it have a negative impact upon the client I think, in terms of what you mentioned about um, people who are aspiring to be therapists, I would just say that really explore your intention first. What is it that you want from this? Um, and just remind yourself to in order to motivate yourself is, you know, the 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 service that you have for other people, the reward for that. It's with Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, but it's a big part of our faith to be to help other people, to to listen to other people. And just to know how to how to speak to other people, because sometimes people have not had that. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says in the Quran, and speak to people in the most eloquent and the best of ways, and how to be with people. You know, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says about the Prophet "Wa that he was sent as a mercy to the whole of mankind. So this sort of the embodiment of mercy and compassion is something that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala encourages us to do and to ha- have that for other people. So definitely, you know, it's, t- it's changed my life and that's no exaggeration, literally has changed my life in the way I view things, the way I am as a person, in my own personal life. Um, but that journey is always is always continuous. And I think finally I would say, as in terms of what you mentioned about advice for us to all to take care of ourselves, is the hadith of the Prophet وسلم, when there was a companion of the Prophet وسلم, called Abdullah ibn Jundub, عنه, if I remember correctly. And his wife came to the Prophet وسلم, and said, He's he's always praying all night and he's always fasting all day. Ya Rasulullah sallallahu And the Prophet وسلم, he he met Abdullah عنه, then and he asked him, Is this true? He said, Yes, Ya Rasulullah, this is true. And the Prophet وسلم, said, Don't do this. And he said, "You know, pr- pray a little and then rest a little, fast a little and eat a little." The Prophet ﷺ said, "Inna li jasadika aleika hakkan, wa inna li ainika aleika hakkan, wa inna li zaujika aleika hakkan." That, "wa inna li jasadika aleika hakkan," indeed your bodies have a right over you. "Wa inna li ainika aleika hakkan," and indeed your eyes have a right over you. And indeed, your wives have a right over you. So this, these, the Prophet sallallahu this shows us how important it is for us to take care of our of our body, of our health, and and, and those around us, and to remind ourselves that this body is given to us as an amana, as a trust from Allah subhanahu wa taala, and we have to take care of it, nourish it, nurture it, and that is inclusive of the psychological faculties that we have with our mind and if you're going to neglect that you're not showing that you have strong faith you're not showing that you're some hero you're actually neglecting that and that that will have a knock-on effect on you so that's why i would finish off as an encouragement to all of us myself and to yourself and everyone else that we should never ever neglect our body because that is part of our faith
0: Mashallah, thank you so much, Samir, for, for joining me today on the podcast. Um, thank you so much for sharing wisdom and being so candid and honest and open. Um, I really, really do appreciate it. And I'm sure our listeners and viewers do too. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you again.
1: Wa alaikum as salam. Wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And thank you to yourself and the team for giving me this opportunity to be here with you today.
0: Jazakallah khair for joining me on this episode of the Mindful Muslim podcast with Samir. I hope you found it an interesting conversation and inshallah like, share and subscribe and I will see you on the next episode.